0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, recording in progress. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Daily Power Parsha on this Erev Purim, a.k.a. Tines Esther's The Fast Day of Esther today, Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. And we are in the middle of the Torah portion of Tzav, uh, which is the second portion of the book of Leviticus, which talks about, of course, the offerings, the sacrificial service, and the mishkan, and the tabernacle, And also, today we pivot and talk about the inauguration rite for the Kohanim, for the priests. In other words, how were the priests inaugurated? How did that process unfold? Stay tuned as we discuss that in today's reading. So, today is Wednesday, thus, the reading appropriate for today is reading number four. We're going to study today reading four and five, at least that's the goal. All right, so I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's, hold on, let's jump in. I think I got it here. All right, Torah reading for Tav. You guys see that? Is it on the screen? Kosher? Okay. Torah reading for Tav. reading number four, Leviticus chapter eight, verse number one. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments. <laughs> Don't forget the clothing. And the anointing oil and the sin offering bull and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. Now, you might be wondering what's up with the bull, the rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. So let me explain. What's about to happen is God is instructing Moses in real time to roll out the inauguration of the Kohanim of the priests. In other words, his brother and his nephews, his brother Aaron and Aaron's four sons, Nadav, Avihu, Elazar, and Itamar. Those five individuals need to be inaugurated or anointed with the oil, dressed in the garments, and they have to offer a special offering or an offering on their behalf, which is a sin offering bowl, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. This is what needs to be offered on behalf of the priests as they are inaugurated. This is something that we've, we've encountered before. In previous Torah portions, this is, the, this is the order, the ritual of inaugurating the Kohen. And assemble, God says, and assemble the entire community at the entrance of the Tent of Meeting. That's a lot of people. At The entrance of the Tent of Meeting. I don't think everyone got a seat. Maybe there was a raffle as to who could get in. Um, and Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. And the community assembled at the entrance of the Tent of Meeting. Now, the entrance of the Tent of Meeting would be that space right outside the building of the Mishkan, in the courtyard, but in front of the building. I don't know how many people can fit. The whole courtyard was 150 by 75 feet. How many people could fit in the area before, in front of the building? I don't know. A few hundred? Anyway, so certainly a representation of the people should be there, or maybe an overflow somewhere else, maybe uh, closed caption TVs, you know, like, uh, like they have, have at the stadium. You know, if you're not in the game, at least if you're not in the stadium, at least you could watch outside. What is it now, Truest. Truist Park? Is that what it is? Home of your world champion, Atlanta Braves. Just saying. Anyway, so uh, perhaps they set up screens and whatever level that they had that. Okay, let's continue. And Moses said, uh, so yeah, so Moses did this and he, the community assembled and Moses said to the community, again, this is unfolding in real time. This is not God telling Moses, I mean, God just told Moses, but this is actually now as it happened. So Moses tells the community, this is the thing the Lord has commanded to do. In other words, what I'm about to do, God told me to do. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and bathed them in water. Okay, I'm assuming it wasn't like a public, okay, guys, look at this, right? (laughs) Or some sort of dunk tank. On some level, they were bathed in water, Some sort of mikvah bath, etc., and he placed. So Moses bathes Aaron and his sons, and then he dresses them, and he placed. This is in the desert, right? There was a rock. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. There Uh, was the the well of Miriam, right? right? The well of Miriam that provided the drinking water also turns out (laughs) provided the bathing water, the mikvah water. Now, one second. My hope is that it wasn't upstream. Let's just put it that way. That that, was where I was going. The hope is that... going from the public health angle. Yes, exactly. Let's hope that they created some tributaries, some various streams, a drinking stream and a bathing stream. Yeah, but I've seen... There's some beautiful artwork. Let me see if I can find it. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Um... Miriam's well art. How about Moses striking rock, water, art. Okay, give me a second. I'm doing some Googling. I'm doing some Googling as we speak. There's this wonderful picture that I'm thinking of. that I can't find. Maybe this? Okay, why not? It's not this one, but it works. So I'm gonna keep it up here. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen with you and you'll see what I found. Cause why not? All right, that's a depiction. That's an oh, wow. artist's depiction of the, ro- wow. see typically we think of the rock as like a little rock and a little water. Okay, but that's only because our imagination is not, is not uh, to scale. In other words, there's no reason why the well of Miriam, which was a traveling rock, wasn't a massive rock that provided a ton of water for a ton of people, a few million people. So there's every there's every expectation I believe, and again, the reason why I'm showing you this, and this is not the the there's a beautiful beautiful painting, um, it's just gorgeous of like again there's a large sized rock like this, but it's. It's a little bit, I think it's a little bit nicer. Anyway, the point is that um, there's no reason to think that it wasn't like this, that it wasn't very large scale. And they had plenty of water to drink and to bathe and do all the stuff that they needed with water. Again, how do you keep people in a desert for 40 years and have them survive? You need a you need decent flow of water, which is why we can imagine what we can understand that in the book of Numbers, when Miriam passes away and the well dries up or this water dries up, the people panic because they need water, and there's a lot of people, a lot of people to go around, a lot of mouths to feed. Speaking of water, did I, did I, did I mention it was a fast day? Okay, <laughs> back to our story. Rabbi? Yes. Rabbi? So that's also modern-day miracle of Israel and Jews and water, because you know that's part of the success of Israel that we were able to, yes. to make an agricultural state when all the neighboring Arab countries have not. Yes, and you may know this. Um, or perhaps not, Donna and Fred from Donna and Fred, you know, fame. Yeah. Our, our Donna and Fred. So their daughter lives in Israel. Um, she, she's married and has a few kids, some kids that have actually come around here on their various tours. In um, other words, their grandkids have come around here to visit. Anyway, so her daughter and son-in-law, Donna and Fred's daughter and son-in-law, they run a, I guess you would call it a hydroponic. Is that? Is that? Oh, yeah. Would that be a hydroponic farm? Yeah. Hydroponic farm of tomatoes. They are tomato growers, yeah. and they live literally in the desert. So Donna, to what you're saying, exactly. They're they're literally living in the desert and growing tomatoes hydroponically. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, they do a lot of exporting. They live near Egypt. Fred tells the story he was once, you know, taking a stroll. <laughs> and a jeep pulls up next to him. He was walking in the desert. And a jeep pulls up and says, you know you're across the border in Egypt. He's like, whoops. So that's how close they are. Um, anyway, that was the IDF as a friendly reminder to Fred to head on back, uh, back to, the, uh, to the daughter's house. Okay, back inside. Let's continue. So Moses... Um, oversees the bathing mikvah ritual, and then Moses helps them get dressed. Moses places placed the tunic upon him, Aaron, girded him with a sash, clothed him with a robe, placed the aphod upon him, girded him with the band of the aphod, and adorned him with it. These are, of course, the garments of the high priest. And he placed the choshen. Yes, that's the breastplate with the stones. Right? He placed the choshen upon him, and he inserted into the choshen, the battery. I mean, the urim and the tumim, the piece of... Uh, parchment, paper, papyrus, whatever was written on that had God's name on it, that powered the Ur of that it lit up to provide the answers to the questions that they asked. And he placed the cap on Aaron's head and he placed on the cap towards his face the golden show plate, right? It went over the, it was affixed over the hat and that was the forehead plate, the holy crown, as it were, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So essentially, Moses helps Aaron get dressed or he dresses Aaron. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the sanctuary and everything in it and sanctified them. And he sprinkled from it, from the anointing oil, upon the altar seven times. And he anointed the altar and all his vessels and the washstand and its base to sanctify them. Of course, maybe not of course, this altar that's being anointed is the outer altar. Now, how do I know this? It just makes sense based on context, right? It says... um, that he anointed the sanctuary and everything in it. Well, sanctuary means the Mishkan building. Everything in it would mean the ark, the menorah, the showbread table, and the inner altar. And then he says, and then the Torah says, and he sprinkled from it upon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and the vessels and the washstand, and that's clearly the outside stuff. There were two vessels outside the building. The, the, the outer altar upon which the animal offerings were brought, and the washstand, the ki'ar. So those are the outside items. So we have the inside items here, verse 10, and the outside items, verse 11. And he poured some of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And he anointed him to sanctify him. Now, we know from previous Torah portions, it wasn't like he, like, Nickelodeon doused him you know, slimed him with oil. It's not like oil dripping down his face. This was a very specific application of oil, and he made like a letter, and Rashi says before, like a Greek letter, some sort of Greek letter configuration on Aaron's head with this anointing oil. All right, let's continue. And Moses brought Aaron's sons forward. That was all about Aaron and the Mishkan. What about his sons? Okay, Moses brought Aaron's sons forward and clothed them with tunics, girded them with sashes, bound them up with high hats, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay, so basically, Moses bathes and dresses Aaron and his sons, and anoints the the uh, the Mishkan items. What's interesting is that, and, and I'm sure the commentaries deal deal with this, is that the dressing of the priests is divided. Um, first, it talks about first it talks about Aaron's um, Moses dressing Aaron. Then it takes a break and talks about the anointing of the vessels of the temple. And then it gets back. Oh, and by the way, Moses also dressed Aaron's sons. You would think first, let's, let's knock out all the clothing and then let's knock out the vessels. It's clothing, vessels, clothing. It's Aaron's clothing, the vessels, Aaron's sons, clothing. I'm sure that is addressed in the commentaries. I don't have an insight right now. I'm not afraid to come up with one, but probably better to find one that, that exists. All right, let's toggle Rashi. Let's see what we got over here. Um, Rashi gives us a bit of an introduction. This section, this whole section, was stated seven days before the erection of the sanctuary, in other words, before the sanctuary was built, Um, and should have been stated earlier in Exodus, in Parashat Pekude, which discusses the erection and consecration processes, i.e. how the Mishkan was actually built. However, there is no sequence... Ain mukha there is no sequence, there's no sequential or chronological sequence of earlier and later events in the Torah, i.e., scripture does not always follow chronological order. Thus, although this section really belongs at the end of the book of Exodus, which is where we originally encountered this idea, I'm gonna explain exactly this. I'm gonna explain this in a moment. It's still here nonetheless, because Torah is not bound by chronological order. Now, just to clarify, at the end of Pakude, the very last Torah portion of the book of Exodus. God did talk to Moses about how to set up the Mishkan and how to inaugurate the Kohanim and how to get everything done. Well, Rashi is suggesting that this, as the story plays out of actually inaugurating them and following the commandment, maybe should have been mentioned there in that context. Nonetheless, it's here because Torah is not necessarily a chronological um, order of of events. Um, Okay. Ah, Rashi is on to me. So God says, assemble the entire community at the end of the tenth of meeting. Rashi says, this is one of the instances where a small area accommodated a large number of people. Based on Leviticus Rabbah, Vekar Rabbah, based on the Medrash, a small area accommodated a large number of people. How many people? Was it the entire congregation? Was it... 600,000 men and or two to three million people in total? Is that what we're suggesting? Or was it more than the fire um, code capacity, you know, fire department capacity? I'm not sure. Nonetheless, a lot of people fit into a relatively small space. Um, Okay. Moses tells the people first thing. He gathers them. The first thing he says is, this is what God told me to do. Rashi explains, why did Moses start with that preamble? He says, the things you will see me doing before you have all been commanded to me by the Holy One, blessed be he, that they be done. So do not say that I am doing them for my own honor or for my brother's honor, Don't think that we're just, you know, look at my brother, look at me, look at the glory, look at the clothing, look at the process, look at the pop and and circumstance, or if that's the right phrase. Don't, don't, it's not my, it's not my commandment, it's not my idea, this is coming from God. Okay, let's continue the Urim, the inscription bearing the the explicit name of God. That means the one that we don't pronounce, don't even write typically. Um, Yeah. Rashi, I don't know. I've noticed the pattern. Rashi is really into the, to the forehead plate. I'm just saying, just commenting. There's a lot of Rashi's on that, about how it was affixed with the cords. One cord here, one cord there, one cord on top. We've talked about this before. You've, you've all heard me talk about this based on Rashi. Rashi, although he's, he's explained it before, he jumps in here as well. The sky blue cords affixed to the show plate he placed over the cap. Thus, the show plate was suspended on the cap. Got it. We got how the logistics worked. It wasn't just stuck on his forehead, with uh, double-sided tape. It was with cords that went over the hat, thus it was over the cra- it was over the, it was on top of the cap. That's how Rashi explains on the cap. Okay, um, I right, sprinkled it up from it upon the altar. Rashi says, "I do not know where in Scripture he was commanded to perform these sprinklings, nonetheless, he did it." Okay, and he poured and anointed. So Rashi says, at first, here's the process of anointing Aaron's head. At first, Moses poured the oil on Aaron's head and afterwards he placed it between his eyelids and drew it with his finger from one eyelid to the other. So it kind of went down. I think like a V, like an inverted, is that inverted? Inverted V? Yeah. Yeah poured some oil on top of his head and then went down one and then the other, right? Placed it between his eyelids or between his, um, placed it between his eyelids and then went from one eyelid to the other. Okay. Not exactly sure the, the motion over there, but somehow the forehead is getting involved. Okay. Okay. Binding. All right. Moses dressed them. So Rashi doesn't address why the dressing, why the clothing was divided into two different sections. First, Aaron's getting dressed. Then the anointing of the sanctuary items. Then the sons getting dressed. Nonetheless, that's how the Torah talks about it. And I'm sure, I'm sure there is uh, there is some insight somewhere to be found, and perhaps that will be homework for your Purim. In case you're not busy enough, that will be homework. All right, Torah and Fitzav, reading number five. This is the, really the reading for tomorrow, but because tomorrow's Purim, we're not going to meet, so that therefore we are doing this today. All right, so we read about how Moses... I, I probably should just take a very quick break and, and just give, like, a bigger picture here. To inaugurate... You know, be, Once the Mishkan is up and running, Moses doesn't really have much of a role. It's Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, the priests, and priests for all time for future generations that are going to be the ones that are running the show in the tabernacle later on in the temple, they're they're going to be the ones that are facilitating. The Levites do have a role. Moses was a Levite. The Levites, they accompany the offerings with music. In the desert, they help transport the Mishkan. They help carry it. Moses, I don't think Moses did the schlepping. But anyway, there there was a Levite role. But Moses himself wouldn't have much of a working role. With the exception of the inauguration. In other words, getting getting this kickstarted, getting this moving forward, Moses was very instrumental in not only bathing, dressing, anointing the priests and and the, the Mishkan items, but also in bringing offerings. For seven days, there were seven days of inauguration, Moses acted as a Kohen in the sense that he brought the offerings. He kind of did the training, if you will. Imagine like seven days of training and the, the, the person, you know, whoever does the training shows everyone else what to do. Moses did all the sacrificial service those seven days, training the Kohanim or inaugurating, initiating, whatever you want to call it, getting it started before the, um, before the Kohanim actually stepped in and did it. Yeah, Dr. Maxine. So help me understand if Moses is a lady how is it that Aaron is a Kohan? Good. So all. Don't they have the same father? Yeah. So all kohanim. The same mother? Yeah. 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 Yes. All right. So all kohanim and Levim come from the same same tribe, same family. Ah, it's okay. just that God said that while everyone from Levi is going to be a Levi, Aaron and his sons are now starting a new branch, a sub branch, if you will, within the Levitic family called Kohanim. So it's it, it was right. it was a gift given specifically to Aaron and his sons. Uh, that was the gift of kahuna. Um, but you're right. I mean, they were literally from the, same, from the okay. same family. All right, thank you. Sure. But in this instance, for these seven days at least, Moses acted kind of like a Kohen. In fact, the commentators say that he had the halachic status of a Kohen. Some say that he had the halachic status of a Kohen during this time period because he was literally, as we'll see in this reading, he was literally doing the service. So let's check it out. That was my introduction to, to re- really to, to this reading, to reading number five. Um, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 14. And he, he meaning Moses, and he brought the sin offering bull close. Moses is bringing offerings. This this would not happen any other time. Only this time. Moses brought the sin offering bull close and Aaron and his sons leaned their hands forcefully upon the head of the sin offering bull. Now, just, just to clarify this, there was, whenever a sin offering was brought, there was the person who needed to bring it and the priest who was officiating it. The person who brought it, yeah, they were the ones who leaned their hands on it. They had to do the confession. They had to lean their hands on the bull. And the priest would bring it close, and the priest would facilitate. Here, the roles, I don't know if they were reversed, but the roles were interesting. Moses acted like the Kohen, bring the animal close. And Aaron and his sons acted as the one needing the sin offering to be the one to put their hands on the bull. And he, Moses, slaughtered it. And Moses took the blood. And he placed it on the horns of the altar. This would never be allowed. This would never be. Moses is awesome. But after these seven days, Moses would not be allowed to do this. This was only in the the auspices of the Kohen. This is not a Levitic um, role. Anyway, but now, again, Moses is doing it. So Moses took the blood and he placed it on the horns of the altar, the outer altar. Sin offering never goes inside. The sin offering goes on the outer altar. even the blood, um, on the outer altar, around with his finger, and he purified the altar. Interesting. This, like, purified the altar, okay? And he poured, it's kind of like, I don't know why my brain goes to weird examples, weird analogies. It's not an analogy, but just weird connections. Not even a connection, whatever. It's like lahavdil, like seasoning a cast iron pan. You get a cast iron pan, you got to get it going a few times, right? You get it. You get it broken in, you get it seasoned, yeah. Anyway, there's all process how to season a, a cast iron pan, which we won't talk about right now. Um, so Moses uh, takes the blood, puts it around the altar, his finger, he purified the altar, and he poured the blood at the base of the altar. And he sanctified the altar to effect atonement upon it. He kind of got the altar up and running. And he took all the fat, which was on the innards, and the diaphragm with the liver and the two kidneys together with their fat, and those are the pieces of a sin offering that are to be burnt on the altar. And, wouldn't you know it, Moses caused them to go up and smoke on the altar. Moses put them on the altar to be burned and converted into smoke and ash. And the bull and its hide, its flesh and its waste, he burned. But the fire, with fire outside the camp, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Yes, a sin offering, if you recall, a sin offering. Certain parts are burnt on the altar and the re- and other parts are burnt outside the camp in a clean place near the pile of ashes that you take off of the altar. That's what he did. Who did it? Moses. And Moses, he. He is Moses. And he brought near the burnt offering ram. Remember, there were a few different animals. There was a bull. You know what? I'm going to go back to the last reading. Give me a second. Okay. There was a sin offering bull and two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. Okay? We have a bull, two rams, and a basket of bread. Four items. Okay. Okay. Back to our reading, reading five, just so we have clarity on this. Um, So we read about the bull. Now he brings the ram. So he brought near the burnt offering ram, that was ram number one, and Aaron and his sons, once again, it's being brought on their behalf, they leaned their hands forcefully upon the head of the ram, and he, Moses, slaughtered it, and Moses dashed the blood on the altar round, and he cut up the ram into its pieces. Now this is a burnt offering. A burnt offering, the whole animal is put on the altar. Nothing eaten, nothing, except for the hides. Everything is burnt. So um, okay, he cut up the ram into its pieces and Moses made the head, the pieces and the fat go up and smoke on the altar. But the innards and the legs he washed in water and Moses made the entire ram go up and smoke on the altar. I guess they washed it and then put it on the altar or he washed it and then put it on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing fragrance, a fire offering to the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay, so this is what Moses does. Uh, to to inaugurate the Mishkan, the altar, to inaugurate the Kohanim, the priest, to effect atonement so that they can start with a clean slate in their service of the people, etc. I'm just going to sneak peek. Don't mind me. Just doing a quick sneak peek at at reading six. Yeah, we got the second ram, and we're probably going to get the basket of bread talked about uh, next time. And uh, reading seven we got some anointing oil action. Okay. Perfect. We got we got plenty to leave for Friday cuz we need to we need to leave some stuff for Friday, but just know that we're right in middle we're right in middle of the conversation about how everything went down at the inauguration. Okay. Let's show Rashi's commentary and let's do some Rashi on reading 5. So, yeah. He purified the altar when, with the, with, when he sacrificed the bull and he took the blood of the bull and placed it on the horns, the corner of the altar around, and he, yeah, he purified the altar. Rashi says, what does that mean? He cleansed and purified it to convert it from its alien state into holiness. What does it mean an alien state? A foreign state? What does that mean an alien state? Okay, up until now, it's just, it's just a hunk of uh, wood covered with copper. Just, just, it's, just, it's just a thing. What makes it a holy item? Okay, Here, here's where it becomes consecrated. Here's where it becomes purified, elevated, cleansed, converted into a holy item. Um, sanctified it with his service to effect atonement, i.e. Rashi says to effect all atonements from now on. From now on, if somebody needs to be atoned for a sin, you got the altar, the altar's up and running. This was the first time it served in that function and kind of, it's almost like hitting the on switch Now the altar is up and running. Okay, diaphragm with the liver. Again, you know, these are things that we've discussed multiple times, but it seems like there are nuances that Rashi is adding, even in this late state of the game. Um, The the diaphragm of the liver, Rashi explains, is not of, but beside the liver, meaning that he took a little of the liver along with the diaphragm. A little lobe of liver with a diaphragm. I'm adding lobe. But not the whole liver, but a part of the liver. Okay, no Rashi's. No rashes for the remainder because it's pretty much straightforward. It's pretty much what you do with the with a burnt with the sin offering bull and a burnt offering ram. It's what you do. It's what you do. Okay. So um, I think I think that we're gonna we're gonna pause here for today. So just uh, just just some quick insights. Um, so in life, everyone has their role. And a mistake that we make sometimes is by making the role R-O-L-E, right? We make the role too rigid. It's like, this is who I am, and this is what I do, and I, don't do, I do this, and I don't do that. And we have a beautiful reminder in, this, in these readings that we did today, 4 and 5, that, you know, when necessary, you can put on the hat of a Kohen. Now, I don't mean that literally, like, don't try to grab the first Aliyah and Shul. If you're not a Kohen, that's going to cause a whole, uh, a whole fiasco. But what it means is in life, don't necessarily pigeonhole yourself into like a role. Like I've got this role and I can't do that role. And, you know, when when necessary, Moses steps up and he acts as a Kohen. Again, it was limited time only. It was by God's directive. Sure. But the message is, I think the message is, is a timeless one. Sometimes we need to step up. And we have a beautiful, I would say the most One of the starkest examples of this in the Torah is with the story of Pinchas. When Pinchas noticed this guy Zimri and this woman Cosby who were engaged in illicit activities and Pinchas says to Moses, "Uh, you know, something should be done. And Moses says, I don't remember. And Pinchas says, I think they're liable for the death penalty because they're engaging in public acts of, uh, of defiance. And Moses says, all right, if you read the letter, then you should fulfill its directives. In other words, if, you, if you're recalling it, then, then make it happen. And he makes it happen in that moment. And in that moment, Pinchas reminds us also that sometimes you got to put on another hat, the hat of a leader, the hat of someone who steps up and saves the day, even if you don't think of yourself in that way. You might think of yourself as you know, more of a, you know, a, 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 a behind-the-scenes behind the type of person. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes type of guy. You know, I, uh, you know, I take care of things quietly. But you know what? Sometimes things need to happen publicly. Things need to happen in a bit of a larger scale in front of the people. So obviously, Moses served a very important role on his own. But in this case, God tells him, I want you to also put on the hat of a Kohen. And for all time, we have the ability on some level to wear that hat as well. And to explain this, I'll cite a Rambam, a beautiful Rambam. Rambam Maimonides explains who was a Kohen. He said, Kohen is somebody who dedicated his life to serve the people and to serve God. A Kohen didn't have a private life. A Kohen lived for God and for the people. And a levi also, for that matter, Levi also lived his life dedicated for the people and service of the people. They didn't own their own property. They didn't have their own side hustle. It was all about God and the people and they were of service. Very beautiful thing. Maimonides says, in his, in his book of Jewish law, Mishnah Torah, he says not only a Kohen or a Levi or somebody from the Levite tribe, but anyone who dedicates their life to higher service, anyone who dedicates their life to things of value, to divine ideals, can become a Kohen or a Levi. Again, not in the literal sense of getting called to the Torah first like a Kohen or second like a Levi, but it means spiritually, the concept, right? the idea that you and I can put on the hat of a Kohen that exists for everyone at any time. We, all, all it takes is for us to choose to don that hat. Today we read about Moses donning the hat of the Kohen, so to speak. You and I can also don that hat. When we step out of ourselves and into that space of service for others, we put on that hat of the Kohen. We assume that role of being of service, and that is a very special thing. And that makes the world a better place. We're about to enter the holiday of Purim. Purim begins tonight at 8.11 p.m., in case you're setting your clocks. 8.15, we have a Megillah reading. But one thing we know about Purim is that it has multiple mitzvot that are, that are all about extending outside of ourselves. We give gifts of food to a friend. So we're not just worried about our own food, we'll worry about someone else's food. We give gifts of tzedakah, gifts of money, to the poor, to at least two individuals that are in need, or causes that are in need, ideally individuals. Um... This year, there's a big push to direct the funds to Ukraine, It'll go directly to people in need, to um, uh, to refugees, etc. There's always uh, options in Israel. Incredible charities that give directly to, to poor individuals in Israel. There's a there are Chabad organizations that do that, that do this. You get you can do it online, and it goes directly to individuals, families that need money right now, whether it's in, in Ukraine, whether it's in Israel, or locally, or locally. So, um, I, there's, the Halacha says, uh, you, we should always give to, the, to those in need in our city first. That's always a priority. Um, I mean, Israel, our city, the question is which one goes first. Okay, we'll leave that for a Fabrengen. But the point is that it's a holiday that's all about being of service. Whether it's with food, whether it's with money, it's about being of service to another. And that's a very beautiful thing. It's a very special thing. So as we enter Purim, let's remember that we can all be a Kohen. We can all be of service or a Levi also. Moses wears another hat. We can wear multiple hats, not just worrying about ourselves, but also worrying about the other person in need. All right. Thank you for joining me today for Daily Power Parashat. A little bit of a shorter edition, but hey, you know, it is a fast day. So I guess we moved a little bit faster. Going back to the well on that one. All right. Any questions or comments as we close out? Are the um, organizations that Habad um, has for helping out in Ukraine? Is that on the H- big Habad website? Is there a link on our Habad website, or how? Okay, so there. Is, so there's a few ways to do this. There are a few ways to do this. Um, there is a. Give me one second here. Let me let me find some links. Okay. Yeah, I saw on Chabad.org they had- Yeah, yeah, there's Chabad.org has one. Um, Chabad.org has, a pro- if you go to the homepage, I think they have a banner on top. You can actually choose the community. There's a drop-down or a, a, a selection of, of multiple Ukrainian communities. You can choose which one you want to direct it to. But I saw who sent it out? Maybe Rabbi Shishman sent out something? Give me a Go second, ahead. give me a second, Ukraine. Um. Nope, hold on. Give me a moment. Yeah. So, Rabbi, just been sent out an email this morning. At least I got it. Not a, not a blast email. Like, it looks like more of a personal email. And he says, um, as a community, we're adopting the Jewish community of Chernigov, Ukraine. If you'd like to direct your perm charity there, please do so by clicking at uh, the website is jccukraine.com. JCC, like, you know, Jewish Community Center, jccukraine.com. And that looks to be the direct Chernigov Jewish community um, campaign. I'll post it in the link. You can't go, listen, you can't go wrong. Wherever you give, it's going to be beneficial. Um, but, you know, this one came to my attention this morning. I hadn't seen it and certainly a worthy cause. Um, I will say, I will say, you know, speaking, I'm going to put some stuff in the chat because I, I just was reminded about something very important. There was a family in, not in our direct community, but I mean close enough in Marietta, in Cobb County, family just lost their home in a fire two nights ago. Um, A family is now just devastating fire. The house is destroyed, and there is a campaign to help the family. Um, I'm going to find this right now. Give me a second. It's a GoFundMe for the family. Facilitated through Chabad of um, Chabad of Kaab. So give me a second here. Here it is. <sighs> yeah. Unfortunately, there is um there is need. I mean, fortunately we have an opportunity to help, but unfortunately there is this need. Um Yeah, we would certainly hope that uh that 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 tragedy did not strike like this. Um this is a family that we know, family that's part of the Chabad community of Cobb. They send their kids to the school, and, and I, I know the family, I know the kids. And uh, this is a, it's not a large fundraiser. Their goal is $35,000. Um, I'm going to read it from Rabbi Silverman, a few words from Rabbi Ephraim Silverman. The Addis family have lost their home in a fire. Please contribute to help them with temporary needs and expenses they recover from this devastating disaster. Every penny raised will go directly to the Addis family. This is certainly a worthy cause, as is other charitable causes, whether it's Ukraine, Israel, locally, etc. So again, you can't go wrong. Um, the main thing is to open our hearts to give on Purim. It's part of the very special mitzvah. And again, when we do that, the reason why I brought this up is, well, it's one of the mitzvahs, one of the four, but also because it's like it's like a coin. It's like a it's, it's extending, It's extending beyond beyond ourselves to, to be of service. All right, so just a quick recap of the four mitzvot of Purim and then we'll close it out. So mitzvah number 1 in no particular order, mitzvah number 1 is to hear the Megillah read twice. We hear the Megillah read tonight and tomorrow at Chabad in town we have a reading at 8:15 tonight, tomorrow at 5:30. There's also a YJP party tomorrow. Check your local listings for more details. There's also a morning service tomorrow, I think, that starts 8 a.m., I want to say, with Megil at 8.30. Um, okay, so there's multiple opportunities at Chabad in town. Then we have the mitzvah to give tzedakah, special tzedakah. Rambam Maimonides, in his code of uh, Jewish law, explains that the charity on Purim is not typical charity. It's about joy. There's a joy involved. Typically, it's about, you know, somebody needs money, you give them money. This is about adding simcha in someone's life, adding joy in someone's life. There's a joyous theme to the gifts of money that we give to, to the poor on, on Purim. There's something special, especially joyous about that. So that's the second mitzvah. The third mitzvah is giving gifts of food to a friend, at least two types of food to at least one friend. And of course, having a festive meal like Shabbat or a holiday, it doesn't have the same restrictions as Shabbat or holiday, but a festive meal with wine and bread and whatever it is, something a little bit extra special um, for your festive meal all right that, Solish, yes uh quick question i have a question about the gifts right the the food gift so i participated in the marsh uh Manot project yes and put my name does it count as like that yes You still have to go get it yes it officially counts but it's even nicer if you grab two items of food and give it to a friend it's even nicer okay. if you do it in a, in a personal way um Chabad custom is actually to send it through a mess, an emissary. Look, there's, I'm not trying to take away from that. No, it's it's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent. You you did the mitzvah. That's a way to fulfill the mitzvah. But okay. it's also something cool about you know you know that that sort of thing. And it doesn't have to be exotic. It doesn't have to be over the top. Two food items. You know, I mean, kosher food apple items. Apple and orange. Will it work? And apple and orange work a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. No. 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 Legit. It's not. It's not a joke. It's legit. Um, hold on. I'm going to show you. What the kids... Yes, and and one other item, one other item. Uh, It should be two items. Give me one second, I'm gonna show you what we've been doing over here for the kids. Hold on. Okay, don't ask. This is just incredibly, uh, not incredibly, it's a little bit labor-intensive. These are mini cheese boards, okay? And on top of the cheese boards are color-coded candy or color-themed candy, that then is hand-shrink-wrapped with a hair, um, a hair dryer um, and then with a sticker. And this sticker, of course, says, Ellie Solage. this is going to his friends. And uh, we have a commission from the local dentist because there's a lot of candy. There's a lot of candy in here. But, yeah, this is like the, you know, the kids have the theme. So these are officially two different foods. Why are these two different foods? Because we have um, uh, Mike and Ike's. And we have gumdrops, dots. And then we have chocolate lentils. So that's, that's at least a few different families of foods. There you go. <laughs> right there. I mean, generally speaking, it's candy. But more specifically, it's different forms of candy. Anyway, the point of, the point of Purim is really simcha and joy. The point is to do things in a joyous way. So the meal is extra special. The extra joyous. The, 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 as I said, we said this the other night, Monday night with our boot camp, the... Um, the um, the Megillah reading we do twice at night and daytime. We read it from a scroll, extra special. We give extra tzedakah. We give gifts of food to a friend. It's all about joy. So, wishing everybody a Freilichem Purim. Chag Purim Sameach, a very happy Purim. And uh, please celebrate responsibly and, of course, joyously. All right. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. A friend of mine has a weekly has a weekly um, podcast. Um, what kind of podcast is this? It's like a video podcast. There's also an audio version. What he does is, there's a sicha every week, a teaching of the Rebbe that's studied. Something called Project... You know, it's A bit too much of an introduction here, but something called Project Lakute Sichos. It's a project to study the Rebbe's teachings. The, the Torah studies classes that we do are based off of one of those two. This year, it's based off of one of those two that's being learned worldwide. But I did a bit of a deeper dive in the form of a conversation, a dialogue. Last night, after the You Be the Judge class, I did a, um, a longer-form interview and discussion of the Sicha on Purim, which we covered on some level Monday night, but this is another version of this conversation. I'm now putting in the chat a link to YouTube if you wish to watch it. Feel free to click on that link. If you need the link in an email, just email me. I'll email you back. Um, but that is the link in the chat to the conversation. Um, okay. Welcome to another week of bringing on the sikhah. That's Fabringian. it. Someone's I'm got here. someone's got a playing. Yes, the <laughs> fabri- that's and that's my friend. That's my friend, um, Rabbi Yossi Winner from Arizona. So he's uh, Chabad Rabbi in Arizona. I think his kid is in yeshiva with one of my kids. I don't know if it's LA or Chicago. I'm not sure which one. He's a really nice guy. Um, I think he's on campus in Arizona. Maybe Arizona Scottsdale? Scottsdale? Uh, let... I've been to Arizona, Scottsdale if you times. I don't know if it's Scottsdale. Yossi Winner, Arizona. I think he's maybe ASU, uh, but maybe not. Arizona, let's see. He is, Chabad uh, at the University of Arizona. Chabad of U of A. U of A, University of Arizona. There you go. Wildcats. Oh, he's Jewish, Jewish wildcats. There you go. Yidcats. In Yidcats, in case you were wondering. All right. great. Um, Happy, exactly. Happy, Chan- happy Chanukah. Happy Purim, everyone. Happy <laughs> Chanukah also. Maybe maybe the mitzvah is to drink on Purim until you don't know the difference between Purim and Chanukah. Maybe. Maybe I'm getting started early. All right. Um, although no drinking has happened today. Wishing everybody a, a Chag Purim Sameach. And we'll see you either over the holiday or hopefully uh, Friday back at DBP. We'll see you. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye.